I think it's all about infrastructure, how we refuel, recharge our systems, how do we meet renewable goals. Welcome to the Energy Current Podcast, brought to you by the management consulting firm, Oliver Wyman. This episode is hosted by Alexander Lesh, an energy partner at Oliver Wyman, alongside Christine O'Mansour, an energy partner based in Boston. They are joined by Jamie Levin, the Director of West Coast Operations at the Center for Transportation and the Environment. And in this episode, they will continue the discussion around hydrogen's role in building a clean energy economy and tackle some of the key challenges with these new innovations. Thank you for joining. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Energy Podcast Series brought to you by management consulting firm Oliver Wyman. I'm Alexander Lash, partner in the Oliver Wyman Energy Practice based in Germany. Today I'm joined by my colleague Christine Omanzur, an energy partner based in Boston. How are you doing today, Christine? Thanks, Alex. Doing very well. Enjoying a beautiful fall day in New England. I'm also very excited for today's podcast. So before we get started, I would like to introduce our guest, Jamie Levin, from the Center for Transportation and the Environment. Jamie has an extensive background in the transportation industry working to integrate clean fuel in transit applications. Thank you, Jamie, for joining us today. Hi, Christine, and hi, Alex. Thank you very much for inviting me. This is a topic I have great interest and experience with, and the opportunities for the future are very exciting, and it's nice that we can talk through this in today's podcast. Yes, I'm looking forward to today's podcast as well. I think we have some really interesting and compelling topics to cover today. The first being our overarching theme of hydrogen. For those of you who did not listen to the most recent episode, we were joined by Andreas Wagner, hydrogen expert at Systemic and lead author of a recent report by the Energy Transition Commission on making the hydrogen economy possible accelerating clean hydrogen in an electrified economy. I'd highly recommend listening to that episode if you have not already, as we will be building on some of those conversations today. Diving deeper into the topic of hydrogen, we know the need for clean energy sources is becoming increasingly relevant, especially in the transportation sector. Jamie, can you tell us a little bit about why this topic has become so pressing from a policy standpoint? Well, Alex, here in California, where I'm based, over 40% of our greenhouse gas emissions come from the transportation sector. So from the standpoint of the state of California, we've got to address emissions from transportation. In order to move us along, we are going to need two policy directives to make this happen. And California is setting that example. One is in regulation, and we can speak to that later as to what we're doing here in California, setting the stage for others. And the other is in incentives, funding to be able to advance these new technologies, which are now starting to prove their worth and reaching the goal of commercialization. I couldn't agree more, Jamie, especially when we talk about regulation not being an obstacle, but instead a driver of change. I know Christine is located across from you in the U.S., over on the East Coast, and can provide another perspective on that topic. Thanks, Alex. When we talk about the role of regulation in the broader energy transition, I think about this as both a driver and an enabler, especially in the U.S. these days. And now that we have the 2035 Clean Power Plan in the works with the new administration, we're rejoining the Paris Agreement. 
So I think this is setting off changes both in the regulatory space, as well as a general attitude towards climate change and energy transition, what we need to do on a federal and also a state-by-state level to really get it done. So I think on the electric side, the focus on decarbonizing the electric sector is really driving entities who participate in the ecosystem, right? So utilities, generators, consumers, electric vehicle owners, to really find innovative ways to meet these goals now that we're starting to set the goals. However, what I really think the rubber meets the road on enabling the transition is really funding our D&D, especially in the U.S. We're seeing a lot of startups and nascent technologies. We're trying to do good things in terms of EV and charging and storage and steel cells and carbon capture. What we really need is more funding and more support to get these technologies down the commercial and technical learning curve. So we need to get more repetitions. We need more trials to learn from. We really need customers to engage new technology. And the funding really accelerates and enables this. And I think that's really important. Absolutely. And building on those points, I'd like to get a bit more specific about how we implement hydrogen and these technology into the transportation sector. As you know, it is one thing to set a target and actually achieving it and moving goals into motion is often a challenge all its own. Jamie, can you tell us a little bit more about vehicle readiness for hydrogen as well as battery electric? For sure, Alex. First of all, if we're going to achieve these goals as far as emission reduction, we need both battery electric and fuel cell electric. These are both electric drive vehicles. The only difference is how we store the electrons. Now, one of the advantages with fuel cell is we've proven range to be able to achieve one-for-one replacement of conventional internal combustion engine vehicles. The other is reduced weight. Fuel cells are becoming far more power dense, so we're seeing significant reductions in curb weight, which means that we can achieve close to parity on payload which is very important for a business carrying freight or for passengers carrying maximum passenger load in transit. And then the ability to replicate the operational efficiencies, the speed by which we can recharge and refuel vehicles in order to put them back into service. And we've been able to show with fuel cell electric vehicles that we can very closely mirror what is experienced in diesel and the CNG world so that vehicles can be refueled quickly and be reused without much of a delay. Now, our own experience, CTE, is involved in applications across many different transport sectors. We've been very successful in the transit arena with fuel cell buses, and we are really at the verge of a commercial product. The costs are still a bit high, but that will change with volume. We're also embarking on major truck applications with class six trucks. We have a partnership with UPS to modify their diesel fleet with fuel cell electric capabilities. Class eight trucks, we recently were awarded significant funds to deploy fuel cell class eight inner city trucks with what we hope will be demonstrated long range hauling. And then there are all sorts of other applications for marine, off-road, ports and the like. So there are many different applications for fuel cell electric, but not in lieu of battery electric. So I think the future is very promising. Love those points, Jamie. And as you said, super exciting, right, for everyone involved in the sector and the development of those technologies. 
And for our listeners, I just wanted to tie it back to the discussion we had in our last podcast with Andreas about the emerging hydrogen clusters in Europe, both on the production and the usage side and what's happening. And we had discussed how different fleets of vehicles are leveraging the cluster effect to really take advantage of the hydrogen technology and make that actually economically viable across Europe. Absolutely. And uh, what we currently see in Europe is that many companies, energy companies, as well as automobile manufacturing, that they are around these clusters and also the future potential in transportation sector, that they are building mobility platforms. There's quite a successful one already running in Switzerland, and we will see more and more of this hydrogen mobility platforms emerging. To build on that, I'd like to take a step back and look at the impact of the transition of both infrastructure and society's well-being. Jamie, can you share a little bit about the work the CTE has done in that space? Of course, Alex. Uh, We're very heavily engaged in developing infrastructure. And in my view, as I previously mentioned, we're seeing great results on the vehicle side, and it's improving day by day. I could spend the whole day talking about advances that the industry is developing on the vehicle side, but I think it's all about infrastructure, how we refuel, recharge our systems, how do we meet renewable goals. And CT is defined five characteristics that have to be addressed to successfully execute infrastructure. And I'll just quickly go through those. We have an acronym for it. It's not the most exciting acronym, but it fits. It's the word PARSE for parsing out these key components. P at the very beginning relates to price. And certainly within the hydrogen sector, it's not cheap fuel. It's not yet a commodity, but without getting price down, we can't create or establish a sustainable business entity. A is for what we call area footprint, but it really is a real estate issue. Building infrastructure, whether it's battery, electric charging, or hydrogen fueling infrastructure requires real estate. This is really all about scalability. It's one thing to talk about a few vehicles being deployed, but when we talk about millions, that's the challenge that we all have to face. R has several key components. One is redundancy. The other is resiliency. We are especially experiencing this on the West Coast, with earthquakes, with fires, with hurricanes. How can we maintain a transportation network that is resilient in the face of these emergencies? And that is one aspect that hydrogen has some real advantages to be able to function even with the loss of grid power. And lastly is the renewable component. In the case of hydrogen, we need to move towards green hydrogen. There's been some debate about blue hydrogen, But the bottom line is we need to start now in order to transition to 100% renewable with wind and solar. We know we can do that. What's really great is the fuel cell is agnostic to where the hydrogen comes from. So these vehicles can easily transition from a non-renewable source of hydrogen to a fully renewable source of hydrogen. And then S, I've spoken about that before, is referable to the speed of fueling, the throughput, the ability to replicate our experience now, which is five minutes at a gasoline pump to refuel a car, or a few more minutes to refuel a large vehicle. And we're showing that we can do that with hydrogen, one of its clear advantages. And then E is the challenge of 
entry level, always more expensive for fueling, hydrogen fueling infrastructure at the beginning. But as you scale up, as I was previously mentioning, then the costs really come down in a very competitive way. But at the end of the day, we've got to be able to address consumer needs, consumer behavior, and operational efficiencies. And I believe in terms of renewable supply and localized infrastructure to refuel vehicles, hydrogen has some significant advantages. Thanks, Jamie. And I like your uh, acronym for identifying the key areas where we need to see success for hydrogen to really take off here. So one thing I was thinking about was applying your framework in the context of environmental justice. So this has occupied, I'll say, an increasing percentage of timeshare and mindshare from a lot of stakeholders lately. Because, you know, as we move towards access to cleaner energy, access to energy, period, right, and, and basic utilities are really a necessity. And we think about the fact that accessing these resources in a cost-effective or kind of fair cost price um, is really a challenge for a lot of people in the world. So applying some of your thinking here, I think price is really an important piece, the social equity and environmental equity and environmental justice perspectives. So as we get through that transition to cleaner fuels, we're not doing it at the economic detriment of certain groups of society. And so, you know, I repeat this a lot, but it's really important that we get the R&D funding, that we get the incentives right, we get the policy right to really get the technology down the technical and commercial learning curves, right? So as much as we can accelerate the adoption of new technologies, that we're doing it so that at the end of the day, it's an environmentally friendly, but also kind of socially equitable way. Christine, that's a great point. The importance of clean energy being utilized globally goes deeper than operational and business applications. There is a strong human element to the energy transition that deserves the same level of prioritization. Before we wrap up today, I wanted to leave you both with one final question on this topic. We've covered a great deal about how clean energy has a place in our future, but What about right now? What is needed to see these goals and actions in motion today? Well, I think you both have made some really great comments and observations here, especially, Christine, your whole point about environmental justice is really critical here. Many of the disadvantaged communities that are adjacent to ports that are impacted by major freight corridors have beyond the greenhouse gas emissions, the criteria emissions that affect the health of their communities. And so this move towards electric drive towards zero emission is really important. How do we get there? I really believe that government has such an important role in all of this, but we should not lose sight of another point you were making, which is if we cannot establish ultimately economically sustainable technologies and businesses then this will not survive. So to achieve our social goals, our environmental goals, we need to ensure that there is an economic pathway. And I believe government plays a key role as a leader here, both as we earlier discussed through regulation, also about incentives and early adoption by government. They can start moving in the direction that we want them to. But often industry has the inertia of not making these transitions from current technology to advanced technology, and government has a role to play in that. The next several years, the next five to 10 years has great opportunity for all of us. Great points, Jamie. 
I also think about it maybe from a different perspective. And Oliver Wyman, you know, we work with a range of different clients, investors, et cetera. What we're actually seeing, and I think it's interesting how these points coalesce, is in the investor community, in the shareholder community, there is a lot of increasing pressure on investors and banks actually set net zero targets and 2040 or 2050 goals, the same way that there is in the energy sector now. And what we're seeing is the banking side actually starts to influence the companies in their portfolio, companies in which they invest and they loan to, have a book of business with. And so I think actually on the you know energy and industrial side, while we've seen a lot of really good commitments in the past 12 to 18 months and some of the implementation road mapping happening now, we're also starting to see it from the shareholder side. And I think it's really this culmination and confluence of the actual energy companies who have the engineering and technical and commercial capabilities to make some of these pivots alongside the investors who are really pushing for some of this momentum alongside, you know, Jamie, as you mentioned, comes from the policy and regulatory and incentive structures just to give things a little boost. I think it's actually all of these different stakeholders working together going to enable us to get down that commercial and technical learning curve. Thank you both for your time today. I know I enjoyed our discussion and I hope we can reconnect again soon. Thanks a lot. And thank you for inviting me. I enjoyed the, uh, the dialogue and much more to follow. Thanks both. Thank it was you. a pleasure speaking with both of you today. We also wanted to extend our gratitude to our listeners as well for joining today's show. If you have any questions about what was discussed today, you can reach out on Twitter or LinkedIn at Oliver Wyman. Thank you. Thank you for joining the show. We invite you to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next episode goes live.